What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined today by Jake Fisher writing a book on tanking. <laughs> I, I've heard that a lot of NBA fans have a uh, propensity to obsess over the word tanking and uh, a team that you're very familiar with. Um, very familiar with uh, tanking as a whole. Jake, good afternoon. How are you? Thanks, Jason. I'm, you know, all things considered these days, I'm doing well. Happy, happy to report that. I hope the same for you. It's all relative at this point. We're all, we're all just surviving. We're all, we're all doing our best. That's all we can really do. And um, yeah, so tell me, tell me about this the the book before we get into some NBA final stuff. Um, what when when is it coming out? What uh, what led you to want to write this book? Um, give the give the listeners a snippet of all that. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, it's coming out May fourth as of now. Um, currently untitled. We're the publishers who are shopping a bunch of them, but um, you know, I, I think as you kind of alluded to earlier, I, I'm from Philly originally. And I kind of started my career with the 2013 draft, which, you know, is when Sam Hinkie came on board in Philly, when Boston, you know, they traded the big three um, and they traded Doc Rivers a couple of days before the draft, which is kind of funny now that, you know, Doc moving teams is back in the news. Um, and that's when all these teams around the league were starting to hire young analytics mind executives like the Phoenix Suns had Ryan McDonough. And Rob Hennigan um, was over in the Orlando Magic. The Kings uh, made Pete D'Alessandro their top executive. And all those teams, as I started to come up covering the league and primarily covering the Sixers for SB Nation at the time at Liberty Ballers, all those teams were, were kind of realizing LeBron and the Heat are this juggernaut. We're not going to be able to beat them. This draft coming up in 2014 at the time was supposed to be you know, the 20, the 2003 draft all over again, Andrew Wiggins and Jabari Parker and Joel Embiid were all supposed to be, you know, this next type tier of superstar talent that could lead a franchise for a decade. All these teams were being bad on purpose. So the book kind of uh, encapsulates that era, those kind of three, three years before the league changed the, the, the draft lottery rules. And it kind of ties into everything that happened with the Lakers here to winning the title, uh, on Sunday being that, you know, team building is at the essence of what all these front offices do. And if you're not the Lakers where you can just sign LeBron one day, you really got to take measured steps in order to build a legitimate contender. So that's what the book's about. If I were an NBA GM, I would just sign LeBron. <laughs> it's a lot, uh, it's a lot easier said than done, you know? Yeah. Um, and then it sounds like, from your perspective, that LeBron is responsible for tanking, uh, seeping into the NBA. Is that what you're suggesting with this book? 
not entirely, but <laughs> the fact that he, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, it's a real major thesis of what I came yeah. from our reporting is that, you know, that draft was considered to be the 2003 draft was considered to be, you know, one of the greatest of all times. And it erected, you know, contenders all across the board in Denver and Carmelo and Miami and Dwayne Wade and the heat uh, and, and, and Cleveland with uh, LeBron, even Chris Bosch got the rappers back to the playoffs for the first time since, you know, the Vince Carter era. Mm. And then three of those guys decided to team up and they won two titles and went to four straight finals. So all these franchises, you know, that, that was right in, in, in line with when the lockout happened in 2012. And a lot of these franchises were losing money. These owners were crying poor. They were saying, you know, what can we, we, we need to change the rules here. They changed, you know, the CBA to create the, um, the Supermax contract. They ended up changing a lot of um, details later on. But the front offices and team executives around the league were freaking out literally about how once they did all this work to even draft these players, um, they couldn't retain them. So a lot of the book is not just about the machinations of, of landing those draft picks and, and bringing guys into workouts and deciding on who's going to be your guy. But then you know, I, was ta- I was just talking to an executive about this this morning before we got on the phone, like the Pelicans with Zion Williamson, he's not going to reach free agency for seven years or so. But look what's happening with Giannis in Milwaukee right now. The clock on Zion in New Orleans is already starting. Mm. And David Griffin, the lead executive there, you know, starting last summer when he took over in New Orleans, he was already, you know, talking in the media over and over again about how Zion was just one of a recruiting class. He was comparing him to Draymond Green versus LeBron. He's really made a conscious effort to try to paint this picture of the Pelicans being this holistic family and Zion is being part of the organization and not the superstar because it's a vicious cycle. You need teams need these top picks in order to contend, but they also find themselves at risk because tanking became so big and popular. We need these guys. It kind of played a factor in how the guys like LeBron realize I can just go take my talents wherever I want. Yeah, I I don't envy the position because basketball is unlike football, baseball, and most other sports in that only a handful of guys ultimately matter in the grand scheme of things. And these teams on the outside, like the that's why you hire a Pete D'Alessandro, which I I have not heard that name or thought about that name in <laughs> so long. It's it's so wild. Do you remember like the Dean Oliver drama from a couple yep. years ago? Like that feels like a lifetime ago. I mean. Whew, uh, that, that it's just wild. The king, the kings, the king. I I, I know Mon McNair a little bit. I hope mm-hmm. that he has uh, all the all the tools in place to to turn that organization or to keep it going in the direction that it seems to be with Darren Fox and Luke Walton. But there is a lot of instability that's really been following uh, Vlade Divac, not Vlade Divac, sorry, uh, Divac around the DJ from you know Pete. To, to Vlade, to now, you know, basically, he kind of just finds the guy that he likes and gives that guy the power, and it's this never-ending uh, game of musical chairs in Sacramento, which there's a lot of the chaos that I got to uncover that I can't wait for people to find out about. It's The Kings are, are a whole other story. <laughs> well, they hired my guy Wes Wilcox today as the assistant GM. Um funny story about him i i went to a lot of atlanta hawks games back in atlanta and mm-hmm. 
I had really good seats uh, for a lot of time because of a friend of mine just had really good company seats and I he asked me to go and very nice of him and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So anyway, we would sit very close and I remember sitting, a, I think like a row or two up from Wes Wilcox and no one... So you can hide in plain sight if you're an NBA GM. And I think a lot of MLB front office GMs, I don't know if this was always the case, but front office figures are not as recognizable as they used to be. And they can just walk around and Hawks fans have no idea that the GM is just right there. He was the GM at the time after Danny Ferry's exit. And I I remember I I just like belted out like accidentally like, what's up, Wes? And he turned and was so surprised that someone just pointed him out because he was by himself just watching the game, taking notes. And I just just blurted it out. And he came over and we just talked basketball for a little bit. Super nice guy, but he was just surprised. And you're like, oh, hey, how are you doing? And he was like, I think I've read some of your stuff because I had done some stuff with Petrie Hoops at the time. And it was just it was just really cool. So Wes Wilcox is a... A good dude and uh he's also really good as an analyst so it's it kind of kind of sucks that we're losing him we might lose stan van gundy to uh to the pelicans too many analysts that i yes. like are getting snatched up doris burke protect doris burke i guess <laughs> yeah i i haven't heard doris's name come up in any other conversation so i think you're good there <laughs> okay um what have you heard of? Have you heard of uh, where a lot of the the coaching carousel is gonna gonna go? Because we have Chris Finch now apparently leading the charge in Indiana. We got Ty Lue trying to get snatched up by Tim and Fertitta in Houston before the Clippers can make their final decisions. Like, uh, what what are you what are you hearing and what are you thinking is going to happen there? I mean, it's kind of like a game of dominoes mm-hmm. at this point because the Pelicans. While, you know, they have Zion, like they mentioned at the top of this, you know, they're not nearly the same level of contender that um, the Clippers and the Rockets are right now. So mm-hmm. those jobs clearly are, even even with the context that comes around around them, um, and Ty Lue is clearly David Griffin's number one choice. But Ty Lue is number one choice? David Griffin in New Orleans. Okay, interesting. Um, but from everything I've heard, Ty has had his sights set on Houston for a long time, especially after the hmm. Philly job um, didn't work out. Um, and I think that's kind of showing the case with the Clippers too, because it seems to be like Ty is going to have his pick of these jobs. And I, I could be wrong, but that's what, that's what it sounds like from my perspective. And once that domino falls, everything else seems to be, like it will, like like the moves will kind of you know fall in place. With Indiana, Chris Finch is a phenomenal coach, and he is someone that hasn't gotten a shot to get his due yet. He's been interviewed left and right. Um, you know, I, I feel like he's been getting interviews you know the last seven summers, and it's never been his chance. And he's someone who could really do for a franchise like what Nick Nurse did for the Raptors, and. Mm-hmm. I mean, dating back to Finch and Nurse have been best friends slash rivals dating back to when they, he was over in England competing against Nick Nurse too, way back in the day in the early 2000s when he was trying. And, and, and as all the credit that Nurse gets for being inventive, you know, on both sides of the ball, um, Finch, Finch and him had this, this rivalry coaching in England that, that pushed each other in that regard too. And he's done... 
he did a lot in Denver when he stopped there to kind of help um, move that offense around, centering around Nikola Jokic um, before he went to New Orleans. And he's just he's a very respected mind. He's pretty young still. Um, I don't know the exact age off the top of my head, but um, he's definitely nowhere close to 50. Um, so he's, he's a guy who I think a team could really like. Like the Pacers are, are obviously they're not an older team; they're on the come up. It, 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 on that organization would hope. So well, they're I at a crossroads because Victor Oladipo, depending on who you believe, wants out. And like, if he gets moved, that changes the entire trajectory and where this team can go in the next couple of years. Like, I I don't know. Like, I think the Pacers are a huge question mark right now, and I would be a little nervous about that job. But then again, they're very loyal. They kept got they'll keep guys in for a long period of time. Um, I I like that front office. I I don't know that that's a tough one and. You don't. There's not that many of these jobs. There's only thirty, and if you're Chris Finch and you've been waiting 30. a while, you just you got to go for it and see what happens. Um, Tyloo not preferring the Clippers job is interesting to me because that was my thoughts all along was that like he would just get elevated kind of the way he did in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and it made more sense anyway. And I think that there's probably a case we made that he might just be a better coach than Doc Rivers at this point, but. Um, I don't know like that i i would have thought that that would have been more appealing to him and you have a better yeah, shot of winning a title the tie directly mm-hmm. but that's that's the word i heard from people who are somewhat familiar with his thinking let's say <laughs> that's interesting because then i don't know where the clippers go i don't know who obviously well, fits there because like who we have you really even heard who they're looking at other than mike brown they definitely cast a wide net. I mean, I know that they're looking at Sam Cassell, and he's another guy just like Chris mm. Finch, who, who's super respected around the league. Who, I, and he, he, he he's not like Chris Finch in regards to the fact that he hasn't been getting the interviews that Finch has gotten year after year. And he's someone that has been with that Clippers organization, like you were just talking about with Ty for years. And he's a trusted, he's been a trusted assistant of Doc. He, um, he's been. Um, pretty much, you know, his lead assistant there for a long time. So I, I would love to see him get a shot personally. Yeah, that would be great too. Um, do you miss basketball yet, Jake? <laughs> I don't at this moment because mm. it doesn't really feel like it stopped. Um, like in the the media aspect of things, you know, the, the finals end and the draft immediately starts. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm I read Sam Bassini's draft version 8.0 this morning. And I'm like, yep, we're already here. And I, I just, I haven't just like adjusted for the immediate draft happening in November. It's just really weird. Exactly. So from, from, for me, for my life, like when, when you work in this, to me, the basketball is such a small set. The like, actual basketball is like 10% of what actually is the NBA, you know, all the conversations behind the scenes, all the all the the personalities of play, the the dynamics within franchises, scouting, training, whatever. Like the basketball is definitely done, and those finals were incredible. Like I think Game Five is one of the best finals games I've ever watched. Like it mm. was unbelievable. I was on the edge of my seat, like literally having anxiety pounding in my chest, freaking out what was going to happen. I was obviously on my couch and not in Orlando. So I'll definitely at a certain point like miss not having a game to throw on, but also uh you know, life moves on and uh there'll be other things to fill the time. We can watch some movies, can uh do some binge watching. 
highly recommend American Woman. I watched that over the weekend. Has Aaron Paul and a bunch of other standouts. Right. It's kind of like Boyhood, but uh, from a perspective of a mother losing her daughter and like what happens when that daughter just disappears mm-hmm. for life for the next 20 years. It's very interesting. Very good movie. Um, highly recommend it, Jake, when you have a moment. Um, I'll write it down. There you go. Uh, you didn't know you were going to get some movie uh, tips on this podcast today, Jake, but that is what I'm here for. Um, actually, I have one last <laughs> thing before we get into the NBA finals. Yeah. How open and honest was Sam Hinkie for this book? Did you get the sense that he... Um, and then uh, the follow-up to that is, do you think he's ever going to be allowed to be a GM in the NBA again? So... I did not speak to Sam Hankey uh, okay. for this book. Did you ask? Um, yeah. Um, Sam's a, this, this will lead into the second question. Sam's mm. a really, really, really nice guy. And what's funny to me about how he's been portrayed publicly is, you know, he's been painted as this calculating, cold, um, inhumane, like number crunching, guy who sits in a dungeon and just look at read spreadsheets right and he's <laughs> yeah. like this really charming dude he's super funny um he knows everyone like there's one time i think it was 2014 i'm at the orlando summer league and i asked uh and we were getting dinner at the team hotel at the i forget what the hotel was down there all the teams were staying at pretty much that one hotel and we're walking through the lobby and I felt like I was on the arm of the prom queen, like, or, or I was the, I was the girl on the arm of the prom queen, whatever way you want to make the analogy. He knew everyone. He was from like Peyton Siva, who I don't know if you remember, was like a little Louisville guard. Yeah, like he was a big time college guy, but at that point, like he was on the doorstep of the league, like fighting for a shot. From Peyton Siva to you know Daryl Morey, he's going up to everybody, talking to everybody, and he is someone who knows that the public perception is something that doesn't really, it doesn't have to match up with your private life and be happy. And um, I don't think he'll ever work in sports again, because I think, um, and, and I don't know the specifics, but I think Axios reported a couple of weeks back, months back, what is time these days? But um, at some point in the last like six months, he got, like 150 million in venture capital funding to start some, you know, project of his. Hmm. I I would be shocked if he ever got back in like a full time capacity in sports because he's so smart, he's so curious to learn about any subject, especially things with data and technology that can move society forward in terms of automation and efficiency. That um, I think he's very content just doing that privately. And uh, talking to, you know, the next Silicon Valley leaders and being involved in that space as much as you love sports and was a two sport athlete, I think maybe even a three sport athlete in high school. Um, I, I think he's very content where he's at right now. Interesting. Um, it's unfortunate. But it is what it is. Unfortunate for um, being that that was what his dream was. Obviously, he wanted to be the lead executive of a sports team. He started off in the NFL before he even got into the NBA. He got a shot in Philly and it didn't work out for reasons that, you know, basically got the rug pulled out from under him. So, uh, but everything happens for a reason. And maybe this was the path that he was ultimately meant to be on. So, yeah, well, best wishes to him. I like that. I remember the Chris Ballard piece on him 
that uh, yeah, uh, I thought was paints really a really good. accurate paint a really accurate picture of who the guy was for sure. Yeah. Um, for you, when you look at uh, how this final is unfolded, and you think about who really came out winners and who really came out losers, who comes to mind first for for winners for you? Obviously, LeBron is the number one winner because. He, that I mean, anytime the, the the goat versus Jordan, you know, that debate pops up, he wins. Even if people don't think he is better than Jordan or don't think he's the goat, the second that conversation happens, he's benefiting from it. Any, it, it's mm. kind of like any press is good press, I think, right? If his name is being, is it, I mean, I don't even know. I don't. I I think the conversation is kind of ridiculous and pointless anyway because. They play in completely different eras. They're completely different players. Yada yada yada. Same it's thing also with, like, no one who no one's going to change their mind. I don't know of anyone who yeah. is going to go. Yeah, LeBron's past Jordan. I don't think that conversation's happening anywhere. I agree, but at the same time, anytime that conversation happens, it benefits LeBron's legacy and yeah. his brand and King James and Revenge Tour and all that stuff. So he's clearly the winner in that regard. But to me, the biggest winner in terms of who gained the most, it hands down Jimmy Butler. I mm, mean, yeah, he went from being someone who, regardless of who you believe or what you believe on how the situation ended in Philadelphia, he went from someone who was being chastised largely by the NBA ecosystem for running his way out of Chicago to then getting to Minnesota and obviously blowing things up with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins to then not getting along in, in certain situations. Like it didn't work out in Philly for interpersonal reasons too. Mm-hmm. He was labeled as this guy, as this malcontent, as this person who was difficult to deal with. Yeah, I don't know if he, I don't even, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I've seen that clip of him on JJ Reddick's podcast like 17 yeah. times now where he asked JJ, you know, am I difficult to work with? You know, to now, he was by far the best player on a team that, you know, reached game six of the NBA finals. Nothing to sniff at, even though game six was a total blowout. Like they were, they were a couple bounces here and there away from really making that series like super, super competitive in the beginning, even without Bam and Guan. And he, he found the perfect place to prop up him and his talent and his personality and he's done a complete 180 from be like now everyone's saying, oh, Philly really messed that up, you know. So he's the clear winner to me. What, 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 what do you think? Well, I think the jury's still out on that Al Horford contract. I think we need to see another season of Horford and, and Embiid and Tobias Harris before we really, really start thinking that the the Sixers are going to miss Jimmy Butler long term. I think we need to let a little more time pass. Um, I think. So the 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 difficult to work with thing I want to talk about for a second because I think yeah. so I think that's a positive for franchise players. I think difficult to work with doesn't work if you're Dion Waiters. It works hmm. if you are Jimmy Butler cuz the way that Jimmy Butler's been characterized like we give LeBron James a pass for that. Because LeBron James, we know, is difficult to work with. We know he's gotten coaches fired. We know he's been extremely demanding and critical of teammates. We know that he has been very hard on young guys. We know this. Like, this has all been documented. We know that's how he works. 
And that's not a problem yeah. because LeBron's teams win and that he is smarter than everybody else and he understands the game better than anybody else and that it works. Draymond Green is difficult to work with, but the Warriors are good enough with him being yeah. that difficult malcontent to win titles. And you can't win titles sometimes without the greatness of those people that just rub other players and coaches and organizational members the wrong way. So I think there is a fine line there, but I think when you are an elite top 10 difference maker, it's important to kind of have that. Yeah. It seems like all of them kind of have that difficult where they expect greatness from everyone around them. It's what me makes them bad coaches and like bad owners. Like LeBron's probably going to be a terrible owner and he'll probably be a terrible jam if he gets into that space because we see that with Jordan. Like it's just, it's just different and it's very hard to look at people objectively. Like Peyton Manning encouraged the jets to hire Adam Gase. He's a big Adam Gase guy. It's not going well. He's, mm -hmm. he's probably not a good, it's it just for whatever reason, the best of the best are really bad evaluators of other people because I, I, I don't know. I would love a great book on this because it seems like there is a yeah. direct correlation between the two. And well, not to not to shill out my book again, mm -hmm. but I think the Jimmy thing. Actually, I just had this thought just from what you were saying. In Minnesota, right? He gets he comes to he comes there mm -hmm. as the missing piece, right? Ostensibly, mm -hmm. he's the missing piece to Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns. The Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns back to back number one overall, or not back to backs? Yeah, they were back to back number one overall picks. They spent all their college seasons being hyped as the number one pick. Mm -hmm. Well, Towns maybe more half of a season. It kind of came around in like January of that year behind Okafor. But the point stands. Backpack number one picks, franchise pillars, franchise stars of the future. Jimmy Butler comes in. He thinks they're soft. He's barking loudly. He wants to work hard, blah, 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 blah. Those players are soft, Chase. Yeah. As much as Carl Anthony Towns is a super talented offensive player, those guys are soft on defense. You're right. You go to Philly, the same exact thing. He's supposed to be the missing piece. But that's Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons' team. They're the they're they're the they're the crown jewels of the process, not just mm -hmm. any rebuild, the process. And they already have their own they already at that point in time already had their own, you know, interpersonal conflicts or who was the guy, could they balance together, could their games fit together. So maybe it is just context. And Jimmy Butler gets to Miami now, a young team outside of a few guys who, you know, like Goran Dragic was about to be a free agent, and he's not the same player that he was. He kind of needed a Jimmy Butler to take, take mm -hmm. uh, the reins there. Bam Adebayo became an all-star this year, but in no means is he a guy you can run an offense like through for 40 minutes at this point in his career. He needed a Jimmy Butler to kind of help take him to the next level. All those guys – you know, the rookies and the Duncan Robinson, you know, undrafted guys that they have, which he's the only one on that roster that's really playing. But they've got a ton, you know, Kendrick Nunn, Chris Silva, you know, even Udonis Haslam was an undrafted guy dating back to, you know, his first days. That's what the Heat do. They find unheralded guys and they match them with stars. And they didn't have a star. So maybe that's just what this comes down to. I think it's more um, when you think about Jimmy in Chicago, you think about Jimmy because that was Derrick Rose. Like we don't even talk like that feels like forever ago. And Joakim Noah was finishing top five in MVP voting and stuff like that. Like he was he was great. But I think where Minnesota and Philadelphia messed up. And I think it's hard to balance this behind the scenes. I think this makes a lot more sense for outside observers of just being like, hey, Jimmy is right here. 
and we should probably acquiesce and build around him rather than build around our young superstars of the future that we want to keep happy for a long period of time. I I think that's difficult to navigate, but Miami was in a different situation because Miami built from the middle and Minnesota and Philly built from the bottom. And when you build from the bottom, mm-hmm. you sign a lot of these top end talent that have high expectations on and off the court and aren't going to handle bringing in somebody like Jimmy Butler, a veteran who is going to demand something different than what they're accustomed to. And Gerald Embiid, obviously, of the group, benefited the most from from that and clearly still respects him. And he loves Jimmy Butler, yeah. Right. But that was still Joel's team, and it was still Ben Simmons' team. And it's just like Miami is unequivocally – Jimmy's team like Tyler Hero benefits from Jimmy being the leader Goran Dragic benefited from Jimmy Butler being the leader Bam Adebayo developed because of Jimmy Butler's leadership and things like that where it's just like the Miami Heat are a direct reflection of who Jimmy Butler is as a player and I don't think Philly and Minnesota were direct um mirror of who Jimmy Butler was and this hasn't been the case since he was in Chicago and we know the difference between um, Gar- Gary Pax, uh, Gar Foreman, and uh, Paxson. Like the difference between their team building strategy around Jimmy Butler versus what uh, Pat Riley and Spo have done um, since bringing him in. And they have the, the opportunity to bring in more around him. But it's clear that this is Jimmy's incubator. And yeah. I think that has been the key in, to unlocking uh, what he can really be on a, on a contender. And the end of the Chicago situation also kind of, you know, blew, blew up in Jimmy's face. Not for his own. You're talking about that front office, like they they fired Tom Thibodeau with the explicit intention of bringing on Fred Hoiberg, and mm. they wanted Fred Hoiberg to run his offense that he had at Iowa State, which was fast and free flowing and had all the motion, and it was really, you know, going to tie in the pace and space era that we've come to, you know, love and enjoy in the NBA, right? And they signed Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo. <laughs> so they didn't really even, and, and there are other pieces in play there too that, that never really gave Fred the pieces to do what he was hired to do. So that also played a huge factor, of course, in, in Jimmy's time ending in Chicago, even after Derek Rose was out of the picture there too. So sometimes, you know, it's kind of just like, I, like think about the average person's this might be a stretch of an analogy but think about the average person's love life you know you have your first love and then you realize you're a young kid and then you have your every time you have a relationship you learn things about who you are and who you are as a partner and what you're looking for in a partner or a person to spend time with for a large portion of your of your time and it kind of happens with superstars too. I mean, even look at LeBron and his path. And he started off in Cleveland and and learned that he needed he he needed certain types of players in order to compete. And that organization clearly started adding talent around him that fit that. You know, they're bringing on all these stretch shooters and stretch bigs to give him space. Um, even like dating back to Daniel Marshall, and then he realized you know that front office just and that organization just wasn't doing enough to push them over the hump. So he went to Miami and obviously he, he's been on record multiple times calling those four years in Miami, like him going to college. 
And they went back to Cleveland, took what we learned from Miami and brought that message to that organization. They won a title. And eventually he, his thoughts changed on where he wanted to be and how he wanted to live out his career. And he went to Los Angeles. It's kind of the same exact thing with Jimmy, but just, it wasn't, it wasn't on his own accord. And most players don't have the agency LeBron has like, or even like Anthony Davis has, like look at Goran Dragic on Miami. He was in Phoenix, had a great time as Steve Nash's backup. He was the darling of that franchise. They don't want to pay him. He leaves to become Houston's like next guy um, before they uh, tried to, uh, you know, throw all that money at Jeremy Lin. And then he goes back to Phoenix in 2013. He's like signed to be the Steve Nash heir parent. And then they bring in new ownership and they trade for Eric Bledsoe. It immediately clogs up Goran Dragic's minutes. He wants out. He goes to Miami. And, he, you know, he has this whole second chapter there as this good guy. So there's all this context that comes to play with players to the point where in the draft every year, I laugh when the people say, you know, this is a prospect who really needs to be in the right situation. The reality is if you're not LeBron, if you're not that 1A top tier, you need to be in the right situation in order to be successful. Yeah. And there's a lot that goes into it. We all like to simplify these types of things and it always frustrates me because it's very complicated. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's interesting that you went to LeBron first, the biggest winner, because I think LeBron's obviously a winner, but I think AD is the biggest winner for me. I think AD doing what he did um, and just be like, he had the shot that we're all going to remember from this postseason. I yep. think he had just the, the when he gets shot. moved to five, like we're going to remember Vogel's checkmate move of taking Dwight out of the starting lineup and putting AD at the five in that second quarter to just maul the the heat into submission that was an anthony davis thing where the gravity that he had in the lane and you have jeff van gundy on the broadcast booth being like do we have to put in olenic because you got to pull him out the heat are just going to keep driving and kicking if you don't do something here because the the lane is not opening up with ad at the five that is that is not happening and just the shots that he was making contested threes in the corner contested looks inside like and then just how hard it is to be that dominant offensively and defensively through the course of this three month gauntlet like AD did is just it's just really hard. And I think bigs are um already under such a intense microscope that just seeing him kind of not prove the haters wrong, because I think all basketball fans knew AD <laughs> was just special and just a different kind of big, but like it it was a big win for big men, right? Where he you can he proved that you can still have a big as your first or second best player and win an NBA title. They have to be very different. They have to be a unicorn. They have to be like a Jokic or an Anthony Davis and there, or a Joel Embiid. And there was only a couple of them, but it did show that Anthony Davis is so good on both ends and he can command so much attention on both ends that if you want to build your defense around a big and you want to still feature him a bunch in the offense, Anthony Davis is the prototype, right? Yeah. I I mean, I get what you're saying for sure. I just think when I think about um, in terms of like the in terms of narratives and, and winning, like he didn't have anything to lose. Like, 
the stock was pretty low on Anthony Davis. Like I don't know. I think he had a lot saying, to lose. Pelicans fans really don't like him. If you go on basketball Twitter, Pelicans fans are still very oh, upset cool. about how he handled. Like he did not handle any of that very well. And obviously, with the free agency looming, like if he had a bad postseason, and if he fell up, he he if he got if Bam Adebayo doesn't get hurt and Bam Adebayo outplays AD in the finals and the Heat win, it. it just it's a totally different story and we're looking at anthony davis completely differently so i i do think he had some things to lose yeah i i just think it kind of goes to your point there are a lot of people out there especially nba front office people who really thought that davis never like a lot of times a lot of last season when you know where he was going was such a huge conversation um, I heard I heard so many people compare him to Dirk. Hmm. Say you know Dirk's teams never lost, never really had sub fifty win seasons, and he no matter no matter what his defensive deficiencies were, he always propped those teams up. He always had a winner. He always got them in the postseason. And he typically won a round or two, and there was a lot of skepticism about Anthony Davis's ability to win in the NBA, and that was never going away. So even if, even if they came up short, it would have been the same old for him. So he won for sure. But a lot of those people are still thinking, you know, he did it because he was playing with LeBron. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that to discredit what he did. He was phenomenal. I mean, anyone who watched the finals that says that Anthony Davis, you know, it was just like the second best player on a finals team. It's completely, you know, disregarding what he did and discrediting what he did. But there are people who are going to say that. There are people who are going to say, well, he wouldn't have done that if he was the number one option. And, you know, he didn't have to play against Bam for two games. And the Heat weren't exactly the biggest team either. So there are definitely people who are going to poke, poke holes in what he did. Yeah. Who are your, uh, who are your biggest losers? Um, I think the, I mean, of the final, the biggest losers are not someone who was there, the Milwaukee Bucks, mm. because the Heat are by far the leading candidate to to steal him in free agency. Not going, Dallas. Going to the fact, I think it's the Heat, and mm. it's going to the fact that um, he's got a pretty good relationship um, with those all stars down there, and, and Jimmy, from from what I've heard, with Jimmy mm. and Dan by he's represented by the same. Bam and Giannis are represented by the same agent um, at Octagon. And um, they're going to have a ready-made contender. They were just in the finals with with Max Caspius. So, and what they showed, like we just talked about five seconds ago, their biggest lack was someone with Bam Hurt. And, and you know, behind Bam, they were lacking, you know, front court depth to really compete against, you know, talented size. There's a guy who could do that in the eye of the compo. So I I don't think he's going to leave. Like my gut still says he's going to stay, but the heat made a really, really compelling argument to him throughout the, throughout these finals. And I think Jimmy, what he did um, when those guys were hurt, just kind of shows the type of you know dog he really can be when they're going at top. And that's not something Giannis has really had in Milwaukee. So that that may be a little out of the box of what you weren't expecting, but that's what I'm going to go with. They've also got a tasty alternative in Victor Oladipo. Sorry, say that again? They have a tasty alternative, an appetizing alternative in Victor Oladipo. I think he trains in Miami. 
I think he already like there is something. He definitely does because his his agent definitely puts his guys old depot's representation puts guys up in Miami for sure. Yeah. And I wouldn't hate that. And you put Victor Oladipo with the way he plays and the way he played against LeBron in that series a couple of years ago where he really pushed LeBron and that Cavs team to the limit. I when <laughs> those Kendrick Nunn minutes, taking those away, taking yep. if you just have Victor Oladipo in that spot and a healthy bam and then Goran Dragic off the bench and Duncan Robinson in the corner and doing the dribble handoffs and everything. Like Victor Oladipo, I don't know if he makes the difference, but Having that guy when the half court offense stalls, I think would be I, obviously Giannis would be the best option here. But in terms of guards, like Bradley Beal, I don't think really solves a lot of their problem, and I don't know if he necessarily fits with what the Heat want offensively and defensively as a whole. And I don't know if he buys in, and I don't know if he handles it well. I I really don't. Um, I think Victor Oladipo and Jimmy Butler are wired the same way. I really think Victor Oladipo is not scared of anybody. Will absolutely go one on one with the best guards and the best players in this league, and just is not afraid. And will press you full court. He loves the Puget threes. Like I miss those a lot, and I hope he can get healthy. But Victor Oladipo is just the very interesting guy that the Heat can actually go after right now. That I would be very fascinated by because, like, it's going to be very difficult for them to acquire any of these kind of guys outright because they have no real trade assets um i don't really know they'll have cap space in i think a season or two i don't have the numbers in front of me but they'll have the it next, to, um, yeah the he the, 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 have a clear path to getting max cap space in 21 yes and or i guess whenever whenever free to see what happens it's yes a new, you know, <laughs> we have no idea um so we'll we'll see but um i do think it's going to be interesting i think another big loser is actually traditional bigs like I, we we send all this praise about bigs, yeah. but like Myers Leonard, yeah, He's Myers Leonard out, <laughs> Kelly Olynyk not getting trusted. Like Spo and Vogel just put on a coaching clinic in the series, but the it it's not a good look when the the checkmate is something Bud refused to do with Brooke Lopez uh, by not taking him out and just leaving Giannis in at the five for almost all those minutes. Um, similar to the way the Lakers did with AD where it's just like, we're going to put our best long crazy defender inside. And then we're going to put a bunch of shooters around him and a bunch of perimeter defenders. And we're going to make you beat us from there. And the heat couldn't do that. Like if they had just played Giannis the five, that whole heat series, I, I don't know. Like if we see seven games, with the heat and the box, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you feel differently, but um, no, it's, it, it's, it's clearly, it's clearly, the conversation happening in the league right now. I mean, look at the draft. James Wiseman five years ago would have been clearly the number one pick. Wouldn't have even been a com- wouldn't have been a conversation. Wouldn't even it wouldn't have even been a debate. But he's still probably he's still probably going to be top two, top three pick. But that's not the, that's not the situation anymore. I mean, guys like Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards, who are six seven perimeter guys who can handle, who can shoot, who can pass. Those are the guys who are being considered now as like the the can't miss guys. So obviously everything happens in, in trends and, you know, maybe the big man will come back in a certain degree, but yeah, I mean, it really seems obvious now that if you're above six ten or whatever, and you can't face the basket, you can't switch and guard multiple positions. You can't step out ahead of three. There's no real place for you in the playoffs. Yeah. You will get pulled and you will get DMPs. Um, last loser, and then I have one quick thing about the Nets I want to pick your brain about. Um, Kyle Kuzma, 
I think we can go ahead yeah, and move was, on from that. I was talking to someone yesterday. He was awful, especially in game six. Like, that whole team is having a field day. They're destroying Miami, and he couldn't hit the side of the backboard. Like, it was – he had a tough, tough series for sure. And I don't know how he improves. Like, I don't really like a lot of his game anyway, and I, I just – I don't know. I, I think the Kyle Kuzma stuff – enough minutes have been logged where it's time to just go, yeah, this is this is just a guy. And honestly, he's borderline unplayable if they have a better option there. Um, the Nets. I, I <laughs> We're talking about the Heat a lot. We're talking about the Bucks a lot. Kevin Durant is still a member of the Brooklyn Nets, last time I checked. And yeah. he's apparently healing well. Um, obviously, Achilles injuries are always scary. But... Steve Nash is now running this team, and it looks like Dan Tony might be joining the staff. Phil Handy might be joining the staff. I think people are discounting how quickly Brooklyn can turn things around. And I obviously like the mercurial nature of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to be complicated, but this team has all the opportunities to move enticing pieces to a lot of other teams. Like Karis LeVert is a very enticing trade chip. Um, Jared Allen, if they like DeAndre Jordan's like, I'm starting, um, Jared Allen would be interesting to a lot of teams around the league. Um, I think Joe Harris is interesting to a lot of teams around the league. They can get other impact veterans. They can go get Bradley Beal if they want to somebody like that. And I, I just think we're discounting a little too much about the nets. Cause they're my pick to win the, the East next year. I think they're the team that's probably going to struggle in the regular season again, but they have so much opportunity there. And I still like Sean Marks, the general manager, that I am so fascinated by this this group and how they handled this offseason, how they handled the draft, how they handle contract questions, how they handle filling out the coaching staff around Nash. Are you as enticed and optimistic about Brooklyn as I am? I'm definitely optimistic about them. And I'm a huge, huge fan of the Steve Nash hire. I've talked to him a couple of times. But I don't know the guy by any stretch of the imagination. But I've had, like, several long talks for interviews where, you, you know, you get a guy like Steve Nash on the phone, you got to try to ask him anything you can, you know. So when you're working on seven different stories, you're picking his brain about anything. He is one of the smartest people I've ever talked to, not just in basketball, just in general. The way he has such a, such a calm, like, poised grasp on, like, figuring out what's important to him in life. Like the way he just, he's just a captivating speaker. And that's someone that I think will clearly, you know, translate to, to being a, a leader in that type of environment. And when you're trying to be successful, leading guys like Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I mean, the reason Frank Vogel had LeBron's respect in the beginning in Los Angeles was because of all the battles they had in Indianapolis and he didn't know anything of what it was like to play for Frank Well, He never was in a film session with him, but he knew based off of the adjustments that they made year after year, and they played three straight times in the playoffs, and he had that guy's respect. Having Steve Nash is going to instantly have everyone in that organization's respect, regardless of his, of his time you know, coaching in this league, which is obviously you know, only a couple of days old. But I think the hire is phenomenal, and I think – that type of personality is what could really be imperative to blending all those personalities. And what it's just going to come down to is those guys health. And as much as 
you know, we talk about winners and losers of, you know, the bubble and the finals. Kevin Durant is a huge winner, too, being that he's going to have such a long recovery period here. Um, and I, I don't know the math off the top of my head, but whenever whenever we get back to playing in the regular season, it's going to be 18-plus months since he tore that Achilles. So they're definitely, uh, they're definitely something to keep an eye on for sure, and they probably – are going to have a lot to prove and they're going to, they're going to feel like they have a lot to prove. And I don't think they're going to be one of those teams that starts off slow and figures it out. I think they're going to come out from the jump of whenever the next season starts and they're going to have something to prove and they're going to show that they're a real contender. I agree. I agree. Um, Jake, this has been so much fun. I'm glad that you were able to make the time today. Um, what, yeah, uh, for having me. What uh, what can the listeners do to prepare for the book launch? Is there any pre-orders they can do, or what uh, what can we do, and uh, what would you like to put before you get out of here? I appreciate that. I'm actually like emailing with my publisher back and forth like all morning trying to figure that out. Um, it'll come soon, but anything, all the updates on that. Um, my Twitter at Jake L Fisher. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it. I'll, I should have some stuff pretty soon. I mean, the, the pub dates May fourth. We're, work, we're finalizing the title and the cover like in the next couple of days here. I'm hoping to have an announcement coming up and I'll be contributing some draft coverage to the Bleacher Report and, you know, just fighting the good fight, man. How about yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, go do that. Um, Jake, I, I appreciate the time as always. Go check out chasonspodcast.com. And if you like listening to Jake and I talk basketball, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcast. Jake, we'll have to touch base again soon. And I uh, I wouldn't, let me just go ahead and tell you, I would not hate a signed copy of the book when it comes out. I would not I would not be opposed. Let's do it. We'll, we'll, we'll come back on the spring and we'll, we'll make that happen. All right. Sounds great. Jake, Thank you so much, and uh, have a great rest of your day, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.